Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. I want to share with you a word this morning, and we're going to continue on in our series, Are You My Neighbor? And last week we talked about what does love your neighbor look like? What, what, how is it fleshed out? How is it lived out? And uh, inconvenience and all. And Jesus has already placed a high deal on loving your neighbor, on love itself, and by loving our enemies. So today we're going to look at, we're going to continue on and allow the Holy Spirit to help us to unfold uh, some of our expectations and realities that we live in in the world today. And, and what we expect is what we get at times. It can be totally different than what we expect. And uh, there was a guy who was in the military serving in the army, and uh, he had been a student of psychology. He wanted to try out a theory uh, that he had been uh, watching, and he wanted to try it on his fellow soldiers. And so this guy was posted to kitchen duty. And he was supposed to pass out the apricots at the, at the end of the chow line, and he started off by asking uh, the soldiers a negative question, and most of them didn't like the army apricots, or apricots, however you pronounce it. And uh, so he starts off by saying to the first guys, you don't want any apricots, do you? About 90% of them said no. And uh, so he tried a positive approach, do you... Uh, you do want apricots, don't you? And about half answered, yeah, I'll take some. And so finally, he tried the third test on the either-or technique and said, would you like uh, two bowls or one bowls of a... Uh, one bowl, if I get my plural and singular right. Uh, which would you like? And so a bunch of them came out with apricots in their, in their dishes. 40% took two, and 50% took one. And so I'm sure that those soldiers, when they jumped in the, in the chow line in the beginning, they weren't necessarily expecting to get all of that fruit, but they got it anyway, right? Surprise. Uh, life can be a surprise for us at times. And no apricots or two dishes. And now we're going to look at Jesus' message to us this morning as we dive into Scripture. And the, the Samaritan wasn't the expected neighbor. And uh, we see that the lawyer, the professor that uh, Jesus was interacting with, with did not expect this good Samaritan to be the one who is the hero of the story. And just to, to kind of give you a recap a little bit, uh, Luke chapter 10 verse 30 says this, Jesus said, a man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And over in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then the man put on his, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Then Jesus asked uh, the man he was telling the story to, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? Now we know there was a priest and a Levite and then the Good Samaritan. 
So the Israelite that Jesus was telling this story to really was surprised to be to see this Samaritan as part of uh, the hero's story as a neighbor. And in spite of his inconvenience, this acting neighbor, the Samaritan, went out of his way to help this victim who was likely an Israelite. So now we, are, we, we touched on this last week. We looked at this. But let's dive into it a little deeper this morning. I think there's more to the story and more to the situation that we're dealing here uh, as we consider being a neighbor. There's some things we just need to understand. So Jews and Samaritans did not get along. And uh, right before the Good Samaritan story, we find that uh, the Gospel of Luke records uh, an account that took place before this in chapter 9, verses 52 to 55. should be on the screen for you. And it says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he, set, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. So they knew that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem, so they didn't want to have any part with him. Verse 54, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus rebuked, turned and rebuked them. We have to wait a second here. These guys, the, the, the Samaritans, have, uh, have, uh, they aren't going to have anything to do with Jesus. They don't want to be a part of this at this point. And James and John, uh, by the way, John's the one that says of himself, he's the one that Jesus loved, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, he, he says, let's blow them up, Jesus. Let, let's knock them off the map. Let's get them out of here. These guys aren't like us. And, and these half-breed breed, uh, uh, Samaritans shouldn't have any reason to stick around here. And so let's put an end to them. And so, well, they, they were righteous. They felt that they were righteous, and, and they didn't deserve to have, have us in their village anyway. That's what Jesus was dealing with. Times haven't changed very much. And so Jesus turned around and he corrected James and John, and I'm sure that he told them to hold on for a little bit, to cool down a little bit, let the, let the heat uh, uh, go to the side. But, but you can see here how emotional they got about this. And these were Jesus' disciples. You can only imagine what the Bible expert's uh, view would have been of the Samaritan that was going to help this Jewish man who had been uh, beaten down by robbers. Now, the Jewish people saw themselves as pure descendants of Abraham, and they were. This was true for the most part. We do know from the background that there were still times that they had failed along the way because of the way the Old Testament law was set up for them they were not supposed to intermarry with others outside. And we know that in some cases, it just didn't work that way. You think of the case of Ruth uh, in the Scripture and how uh, her husband had left because they had had a drought in their area and, and Israel, and he left his area. He goes to Moab, and then he takes this Moabite woman to be his wife. Up, oh, sin, failure, number one. He wasn't supposed to do that, right? But he does it anyhow, and we see that she ends up in the lineage of some people we know that are very special. 
So they saw, and us back to the story, they saw the Samaritan as half-breeds because they descended from Jews from the north who had intermarried with the Assyrians and others after Israel's exile at about anywhere from uh, 611 to 604 B.C. And so these, these Israelites had uh, despised the Samaritans so that uh, when Jesus introduced this Samaritan into the story, the listeners would not have expected, uh, or they would have expected for him to be a Jewish man. But even more, Samaritans were the main ones who beat and robbed Jews when they came down that way. But in great detail, Jesus described all that this Samaritan man did for this Jewish man. Let's be candid here for just a little bit. I don't always like to tell these kinds of stories from the Scripture, and there's a reason why. Uh, it's because there's so many people in the Christian world that take it and run with it. They misunderstand the Gospel. They misunderstand what's being said, and then they twist it. And what they end up doing is building up anti-Semitism. I didn't say it right, but anti-Semitism. <laughs> I'll get it out. And what they do is they start looking down on Jewish people, and all of us have heard those reports over the years and how that works, but that's wrong. And uh, that's what they have done is they've turned around and held to the same kind of prejudice that they don't even uh, they don't even understand, and they've become blinded by it. They're blind guides. And that isn't the only form of prejudice that's out there in our world today. It can be hard for us at times to be able to see past our own prejudices. And what makes it even more challenging is when our prejudices are mixed into our spiritual lives, and that's what we have in this case in the Samaritan story. And uh, that's what seemed to happen there. And Jesus, the Son of God, was cutting right to the heart of what was happening to them. He went right, he went right to it. And in fact, we can find him throughout his ministry correcting and helping others focus on the right things that are really more important. And that's what we must do at this point is open our hearts and our minds to what God is saying to us. Now, there were some real issues that were part of the Israelites versus the Samaritans at this time. There's no question. So it, it wasn't there. Uh, it wasn't that there was no a cause for tension because the tension was there. The tension was among them. And we can find a little bit of this over in John chapter 4 when we, when we see Jesus who started to interact with a Samaritan woman. Even the prejudices that you hold likely have been based on things from the past. And if you notice there, I said the ones that you hold the ones that I hold, the ones that we all hold because we all like certain things in certain ways because we're used to them. And those things will cause us tensions in our lives because of something that happened when we were 10. Or when we, uh, when we, get, to, uh, we get to this place or that place, this or that happened to us. Sometimes these beliefs, beliefs are perceived and sometimes they are real. Sometimes they're perceived, perceived that way because that's what we think. That's the way we view it because of the setting. But we may not be getting all the right information at that point in time. And then other times there are some things that may be very real to us. 
Now, in his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi wrote that during his student days, he read the Gospels, the Word of God. He read the Gospels seriously, and he considered converting to Christianity. He believed that in the teachings of Jesus, he could find a solution to the caste system in India from where he's from. So one Sunday, he decided to attend services at a nearby church and to talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. This is when he's, he's headed that way. And when he entered the sanctuary, however, the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go and worship with his own people. Think about that. Gandhi left the church and he never returned. He said, if Christians have caste, caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. Wow. That usher's prejudice not only betrayed Jesus, but also turned a person away from trusting Him as Savior. The prejudice of one usher affected the view of a man that had a worldwide impact. And there's probably not one person in here that doesn't know His name. And how sad it was that He was not accepted. Now let's move on. Our prejudices tend to keep us from being a neighbor. They at least limit us. They at least limit our engagement in engaging others around us. And a woman in John chapter 4 here shed some light on, again, on how Jesus handles the situation while dealing with the Samaritan person. And this person was not only Samaritan, but she was a woman. And likely what we gather from the account, if you read the whole thing through, it seems that she was a cast, she was cast away kind of from her people too a little because of her loose lifestyle. And so Jesus didn't ignore her, but he engaged this lady in conversation. He did not skirt her issues. He didn't go around them. And Jesus did not ignore the fact that she had been married many times and the guy she was living with now, she was, she was not married to him. And so look at what he says in John chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. It should be on the screen for you. It says, Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So we see that this was the well of Jacob that lies at the foot of Mount Gerizim. So if you know the history, great. If you don't, well, let's talk about it a little bit. But Mount Gerizim was the center for Samaritan worship. That was a very important place. And not only that, that was one of those places that Moses had, had uh, uh, shared the, uh, the blessings of God from Mount Gerizim, and then, or was supposed, he told the people of Israel to do that, and then uh, the, uh, its twin mountain, uh, Mount Ebal. So, but this place was important for them, for the Samaritan worship. It was one of those historic sites in Palestine, and we're really sure of that. But this woman attempts to redirect Jesus' in-depth interaction with her. What she ends up doing when Jesus talks to her is she starts engaging him about an old controversy. That controversy between the Jews and Samaritans, whether they should actually worship on Mount Gerizim or whether they should worship in the temple in Jerusalem. 
And so here they are at the foot of that mountain, and uh, Jesus won't be misdirected by any of this prejudice. Look at what he says in John 4, verse 21. He says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is, is, of the Jews, is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we see that while Jesus was talking to her, he was uh, keeping to what really mattered. He was focusing on the right thing. He isn't going to be pulled into the controversy of the prejudice that they dealt with between the two groups of people. You have to see that Jesus is not endorsing Mount Gerizim either, but at one point, the place of worship won't really matter is what he's saying to them. And he argued, it doesn't matter if it's going to be Jerusalem or Gerizim, but that is not the point. And so he directs her otherwise, and he avoids her argument by elevating the issue above the location. He made no concessions to her either, though. And he suggested that the Samaritans' worship was confused. He said, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. And probably he was alluding to, to the error of the woman's ancestors because what they had ended up doing is mixing in false gods with the one true God. So there was issues there. But even though the Samaritans have followed that false teaching, he was not going to let that get in the way of being a neighbor and bringing hope. That's where our point comes to, friends. No matter what we face in this life and no matter how we interact with one another and those outside of us, we have to make sure that no matter how similar, no matter how different they are, we can't let anything get in our way of being the neighbor that God has called us to be. We must never forgive it. We see this situation and the Good Samaritan in Jesus' account was not willing to let his prejudice or even the victim's prejudice keep him from helping him. There's a lady named Dodie, and she was a school teacher for about 13 years, and uh, she finally decided, you know what, I teach all my students all these information about these different places, and I've never been to them. And so she decided that she was going to take a road trip, and she got her pickup, and she put on a fifth-wheel camper on the back, and she's towing across the country, and as she gets into, into California near Sacramento on I-5, if any of you know that area, if you've driven that area, I-5 is one long interstate and it goes through a lot of big cities all the way starting down in Mexico and on up. And so she's on I-5, she's running along by herself with nobody else with her, and uh, she breaks down in traffic just outside of Sacramento. And while she's there, the water pump has gone out of her pickup, and she's trying to figure out what to do, and so she's leaning up against the trailer, and she prays this prayer. She says, please, God, send me an angel, preferably one with mechanical experience. Yeah. 
So within about four minutes, uh, a huge Harley drove up. It was ridden by an enormous man with a long black hair and long black beard and tattooed arms. And he jumps off his bike and he goes over to his, her uh, truck without even saying much to her. And he went to work on the truck. And with the next few minutes, uh, he saw another fairly good-sized truck coming by, and so he pulled him over. He asked, asked him to come over, and they get a chain, and they, and they hook it onto her rig, and they pull it off of the highway, because by this time, she's making a, a massive backup. And so they pull it to a side street. There she is with this big, burly guy, and she's like, you know, what's going to happen? And, and so, so he gets back under the hood and he fixes the water pump. He takes care of the business that needs to be done. And, and uh, she uh, hardly says anything. She's scared. And especially when she read on the back of his uh, jacket, his leather jacket that said, Hell's Angels, California. Yeah. Yeah. I've known some guys that have worked with them and they've told me it's quite tough. And uh, she finished, uh, he finished up, and she got the courage to say a few words to him, and she thanked him and everything, and, and, uh, and there he is, and they have a brief conversation, and he looked right at her, and he said this, don't judge a book by its cover, you may not know who you're talking to. Daddy smiled, he closed the hood, and he laughed. And uh, given half a chance, people, people will often crawl out of the boxes that we put them in. It's a challenge, isn't it? Because we all do that to be able to try to figure out how to live this life. And the early church struggled with this tension as well. We all have this tension in our life, no matter what it looks like. And uh, the, the early church struggled with it, but if the Samaritans weren't hard enough to deal with, since they were family uh, to God's people, that we see that these guys are now having to deal with the Gentiles. The Gentiles are, uh, if you're not a Jewish person or from Israel, then you're a Gentile likely. And so uh, these guys are the Gentiles, the rest of us, and this takes us over into the book of Acts chapter 10. We see a, a Gentile named Cornelius here. We can look back at this account and not think much about it, but when you read this account, you feel the stress in the Apostle Peter's life. He finds stress beyond stress because he now has had an open vision from God that, is, that has allowed him now to eat non-kosher food that he had never eaten before in his life. And he's given the liberty now to interact with a people group that he's never really been allowed to interact with. Acts chapter 10 verse 1 says this, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, he was a Roman Gentile, and he and all his family were devout and God-fearing, one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He, he saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, uh, uh, and Cornelius stared at him in fear. That I would stare at him in fear too. And, and the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who's called Peter. 
So this Roman guy, this Roman Gentile, uh, Cornelius, loved God and he loved his neighbor. He loved God, he loved his neighbor. He stayed connected to God and he helped the poor. We can tell that from the scripture, from the passage that we've read. And, and God wasn't going to ignore him and made sure that Simon Peter, the Jewish apostle, was going to make a historic connection with Cornelius, a Gentile believer. So the day, uh, the day after Cornelius had the vision, we see in verse 9, it says Peter went up on the roof to pray. Verse 10, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down uh, to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. <laughs> Look at his response. I bet his jaw has probably hit the floor. He said, surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. He had right to say that, didn't he? In, in verse 15, it says, the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Things have changed. God has changed the order of things here. And the, the apostle Simon Peter, he is sweating bullets. They didn't even have them then, and he was sweating them. Serious stuff. <laughs> he was faithful to God's Old Testament command to keep the dietary rules. That's what he was to do. And if he didn't, uh, if he didn't follow them, then likely the other Jewish people he'd be around would cut him off. That's what, that's what Leviticus told them they were having to do. Thank God for grace in the new covenant. And it seemed that Peter shouldn't have been so surprised by the revelation, but that really is easy for us to say because we're looking backward from this time. We're looking back, but he wasn't too far, and Jesus gave hints in advance. At one point, Jesus told his disciples in the crowd in Matthew chapter 15, in verse 10 to 11, he said this, listen and understand. What goes into somebody's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. So let's, go, let's get back to Peter and, and the Gentile Cornelius here in Acts chapter 10, verse 19. It says that while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. He's talking about this Gentile guy as sending his cohort to go check with him. And then he goes on to say, uh, after they told Peter uh, something, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. So it shows there, maybe that softens the blow. Softens the blow for Peter. That, hey, this guy, the Jewish people over there, where he's from, they're kind of okay with him, so maybe, maybe I can interact with him. God's being kind to him. He's being kind. And he says a holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. 
Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. Could you imagine what Peter felt at this point? And he even invited them in. The norms of Peter's culture did not allow for him to sit down and eat with Gentiles in such a way. And in fact, uh, later, Peter goes to, to meet with Cornelius and his family who were Gentiles, and he, he preaches, or at least he tells them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was, it was so miraculous at this stage that right then, while Peter was still preaching the message of the gospel of Jesus, that Cornelius was overcome by the Holy Spirit and ended up speaking in another language he had never learned. And that was a sign that God accepted this Gentile into the household of faith. That was a very, very big deal to him. And Peter ended up having them baptized in water. But even before he preached, Cornelius told his side of the story and the apostles' response uh, was found in verse uh, 34. And this is what verse 34 says. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right. It was hard for Peter to accept outsiders. It was hard for him. It was a struggle for him. And he wasn't the only one. Look at uh, James and John as well. They struggled as well. But the, the norms of culture frame how uh, we all see things. All these typical things, they, they, they frame how we see things and the things that are normal. But there are, there are times that those norms go against what the Bible says and we must seek what God, sa what God says about it. For Peter and Cornelius... This became an issue of salvation, of holiness, and, and of fellowship. And the one who struggled the most was not Cornelius, but it was Peter, wasn't it? Because he was so used to eating kosher, and he was not, uh, and now he was going to be eating with a Gentile. But God's revelation to Peter was that no matter a person's background, no matter their ethnicity, that if that person turns to God, God will accept you. That wasn't Peter's expectation, I don't think. I just don't think it was. Yet it was in line with God's plan, God's purpose, and God's expectation. Uh, we know that Peter had to learn to become a neighbor doesn't mean that we condone everything around us that happens in our world. Not at all. We see that Jesus didn't condone everything when He talked to the lady uh, at the well. But we realize it's the same, it was the same for James and John, the sons of thunder. They too had to learn to become a neighbor. And that wasn't the end of it for them though. And it wasn't the end of it for us either. If you look at something very interesting as we wrap this up this morning, at times, Peter, huh, he failed to love his neighbor after this. It seems that after this he did. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he challenges Peter on how he treated the Gentiles who come to faith in Christ. 
It's over over in Galatians chapter 2, and it says this, When Cephas, meaning Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. This is Paul's word to Peter. Buddy, in your face, you're wrong. You are wrong. You are off here. And then it says in verse 12, For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, which was himself too. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that their hypocrisy, that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas led astray. Paul was an Israelite too. And he calls, basically, he's calling Simon, Peter, and the others hypocrites, isn't he? He's like, come on, guys, that's not right. It's not right, and it's evident from this passage that Peter had spent time eating with Gentiles, there's no question about it, who were followers of Christ. And the interesting thing about Peter is that he he was the one who had received this open vision from God saying, hey, it's okay now, and there's a purpose behind this. And this allowed him to have fellowship with Gentile followers of Christ. But now he was backing away from spending time with them. Things that went awry. You must not only learn to become a neighbor, but you must fight to continue to be a neighbor. It's not those other neighbors that you're looking at and fighting with. You're fighting with yourself. You fight with your own norms, your own, own things that you know from the family that you grew up with, with the culture that you grew up with, with all of the things that you seem to know is right. You fight with that, and you have to be able to fight with that and learn to become a neighbor when that other person doesn't want you to be a neighbor. Love God with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Red or yellow, black or white, tall or short, wide or thin, mean or kind or gentle, a background totally different than yours, one that's the same as yours. See, we all have natural preferences that we like because we like to be around people who are like us. But learning to be a neighbor is to be a person who's willing to step outside of our own little box that we've created. Doesn't mean we may condone things that are wrong or sin, but we can still reach out with the love of God and interact with others and allow God to work through our lives. Would you stand with me this morning? know there may be times that you failed to be a neighbor maybe like Peter you understand the story you failed to be a neighbor because the old prejudice you grew up with got in your way they may do that now and then and you have to put your foot on their head and say get out of here I'm stepping on you I'm not going to allow that to rule my life I'm going to allow Christ to rule my life I am going to be a person that loves God with everything I have And I'm going to be a person who loves my neighbor as myself.
pray with me this morning and then we're going to be led in a song of worship and our prayer teams are going to come down here in just a minute Father we need you we need you forgive us for our prejudices forgive us for holding ourselves above other people forgive us for allowing little things to hinder us in our life forgive us for offending you because that's what we've done Lord when we've allowed those things to rule us Father may we be people who live this life in such a way that brings glory to your name there's no other name written under heaven where we can be saved but it's through the name of Jesus and Father we ask you to help us that we would be true witnesses of Jesus to the community that we live in and Father I pray that you would help us may there be no Gandhis that come into this church and they are turned away May they receive the love of Jesus Christ so that they may be set free and so that they may have hope again and that they may receive eternal life. Oh God, forgive us because we are the greatest of sinners when we allow those things in our way. Father, may our lives bring you glory. May our lives bring you joy. And may you be exalted. Jesus' name.